have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. Yesterday, with the Tuckins being fired. Now, the thing about this whole Tuckins being fired is that it's being reported that they parted ways mutually. I'm not so sure about that. Doesn't seem to be that way, in my opinion. Okay. Um, it's also not being reported that way in many circles. Now, some, you know. There are people on the left that are taking like a victory lap for this. I mean, I don't know what the victory lap is, but my take on it is this. We are in the post-truth world, and this firing, to me, puts me on notice, lets me think again that there could be a possible escalation in this war or having to do with something that would affect us all like the nightmare we all just lived through and that may be down the pipeline even perhaps before this next big election which it really seems like that's going to be the case i mean you really think about it that was the big uh surprise surprise and the ramp up for that was about 11 months will they will they go by the same playbook i don't know it also when i think about there's so many people that talk about tucker being controlled opposition and you know when i put that uh article yesterday out everywhere people are going well here's his interview with david ray griffin David Ray Griffin was in the 9-11 Truth Movement. He he did absolutely phenomenal uh, work. Uh, recently did pass away from cancer. And as I stated before, David really took it on the chin. He 
was an academic. He, he was for global governance, by the way. Um, he was also somebody who promoted uh, climate change, which, you know, that's a big criticism of RFK Jr. Hopefully he understands that the conditions of command and control they're trying to bring into place because of whether you believe it or not are not the solutions. However, when you look at both of them, it looks like they're doing the right thing. And now Tucker's been fired. And to me, that should show everybody a couple things, right? Other than the fact that this is clearly not about profit, right? If you can't make the number one news show in the United States profitable, what does that say? Well, I mean, there are a multitude of things it says. It says that big companies don't want to invest in the truth. That's one. Because there is the, the stark possibility that they felt they could have made more money somewhere else because big pharma maybe didn't want to advertise there. But that also shows you the contempt for consumers that's out there. They don't even care what the consumer wants. Because uh, once again, you would think with all those eyeballs on there, there's got to be products that are there to be sold. Now, mainstream, I just want to show you what's going on in the mainstream. They're saying that they took issue with Carlson's derogatory remarks towards staff and bosses before shock departure. Anchor called them incompetent liberals and efforts who were destroying their credibility. I don't think that's it either. Um, if you look at, for instance, O'Reilly, when he was there, he got up, he got caught up in a full on blown out sex scandal, a couple of them. Nothing, nothing. Paid the suits, kept them on, figured it out. So as far as lower staff, again, he's pulling numbers. I don't believe that's it. I think this is narrative management. I think it actually may have something to do with the fact that these little documentaries are, are now going mainstream, right? Jay Dyer was in the Let Them Eat Bugs one, dressed up like Klaus Schwab, running around on people. It's funny. Reaching people. And... I think that there was a whole bunch more documentaries. I'm not sure if they had even released yet. It may now, they, I'm, I'm sure that Fox at least has the Tucker Carlson originals or have they pulled those? Have they come to an agreement there? Is that going to be part of the severance package? Well, the bottom line is wherever Tucker goes, he's going to be huge. But also, uh, in, in my opinion, you have to understand that one of the reasons that you don't want this, okay, is that, Every time someone starts to do the right thing in media, in my opinion, they're forced to go solo and then they're further ma marginalized by the great narrative, even if they have a huge audience or not. Joe Rogan would be a great example of that. YouTube. I mean, he was first it was he was streaming his show live on YouTube, pulling crazy numbers. And then finally, you know, Rogan, I, I think, wanted a little editorial control in case. He stopped streaming, but still one of the biggest things on YouTube, never allowed to trend. Never allowed to trend. And eventually they forced him to Spotify, a smaller platform. Yes, 
He posts clips. Yes, a lot of people did move over for him, but they're they're able to kind of uh, marginalize his cultural impact. Glenn Beck would be another great example of this. And look, I'm not a fan of. I I take issue with all these guys on a lot of a lot of things, and Beck and Tucker in particular because of their attacks on 9/11 Truth. But as Beck got better and better, right? First of all, Fox saw that they could make money with Beck when he was at CNN. And they said, all right, we're going to bring Beck in. Then Beck starts becoming their biggest thing. And he has to leave and create the Blaze. Now, the Blaze has been awesome in a lot of respects. Like, uh, look, look at Alex Stein. Like, I think Alex is funny. Do I agree with everything he does? No, that's fine. He's a performer. He's kind of like a an artist on top of everything. But he's also uh, extremely articulate when he needs to be. And I think that, you know, that's just one person. That's great. Glenn Beck isn't the mainstream juggernaut he once was. He has his audience. That's great. Awesome. There is no... I can't think of anybody else in the mainstream that went anywhere close to Tucker. So and people are like, it's Tucker Unleashed now. I hope so. That's great. But is it going to have the same impact? I'm sorry. Like, Sean Hannity isn't doing it for me. Okay? Um, Laura Ingram having Carl Rove on all the time. Not doing it for me. Jesse Waters not doing it for me. I'd say if they're going to put somebody into that slot that I'd like to see, because they had Kilmeade on there last night. He trended just because he was there for the first thing. And, and uh, he had to read that one-liner where he's like, as you probably have heard by now, Tucker Carlson and Fox News have mutually agreed to part ways. Tucker's a great friend of mine, and we wish him all the best. But now it's time for, and that's it. That's the whole shebango. Now, another reason to me that this do doesn't seem like the profit motive, right? I, I get the advertiser's angle, but you would think like Coca-Cola or any type of food or beverage product, beer, soda, anything could make money advertising on, on the Tuckins already. $500 million has been taken off Fox News's valuation. That's big. That that's that's pretty damn big. Um that yikes. I'm not saying that Fox News won't survive. They're a Leviathan. Um they certainly have uh, a horde of of fervent watchers and fans, especially when the rest of the mainstream move, uh, media is just so over the top at this point. I mean, cartoon level over the top, for sure. Can't can't disagree with that one, okay? So there, there's a little bit more than just the Tuckins. I, and I expect that the Tuckins is going to launch his own thing. How long it will take, I have no idea. Tuck, you're looking for somebody. Look, I love the Red Voice Media. We'll continue to do it here. But, uh, yeah, if you're really going to start a media organization, you're looking for uh, hard-hitting truth seekers. You're going to put a budget behind it. Maybe this is a win-win. Just like the Veritas thing, if you were paying attention, was really a win-win. 
even though a lot of people don't want to retweet or share Veritas's work when they're doing uh, some seminal stuff. And now O'Keefe is doing other stuff. Healthy competition, great thing. Yes, I'm all about cooperation and harmony, but taking competition out of the mix, which they've tried to do throughout the last couple of generations. Hey, man, here's your participation trophy. No, competition breeds innovation, okay, and, and really accelerates um, the growth, in my opinion, of um, technologies that can empower people, empower humanity. But just like everything else, there's this duality where they can flip it around and uh, also use it to hurt and harm and control. Humanity. All right. I, I have a bunch of news stories that I do want to go over before uh, we get down and dirty and wild and we start playing some clips. Uh, I do have the Joe Biden, our children clip. Like Joe Biden doesn't know what's going on. I also have another one where he's talking about everybody knows that climate change is fake. And at the same time, people think he's being sarcastic. I think he's just misreading. I don't think he knows where it is. Saw that I. Saw that clip we played again. How do you reach the top of success, sir? <laughs> top of success. I mean, he, zombified. Zombified. So I want to hit these news stories. Um, think, think they're, you know, important just to show the reality we live in. And, and this is before we get into geopolitics, although I got, I got quite a few of those. Uh, we got uh, Gates living it up, not giving a what. Just talking about climate change as the agenda for everything. Always bringing in uh, population control in there and how dandy it is. And really emphasizing the health for peace, peace for health without saying it. The new Nazi-esque slogo. Yes, slogo. Uh, it's, it's supposed to be slogan, by the way, folks. That, that's how good I'm doing today. I'm getting a little hot in my jacket. Heats up in here. Four monitors, lights. Whoo, whoo. So it, it's Bernaysian. It's ridiculous, but it, it, it's again command control over everything. And your your kids are a key part of that. There are kids. No, no. Parental rights. I, yeah, that's another thing. I'm sitting there watching C-SPAN the other night because that's what I do. And I see this conversation with this like really soft, effeminate type dude talking about parenting. And, you know, he's advocating for 16 being the voting age and all these weirdos that want to take the childhood from the child under the guise of their freedom and their rights. But really, it's not their freedom or their rights. It's the state's control over them. That's the reality. And by the way, I guess before we get to the, uh, the the horror stories I'm about to go over, the monsters among us, just to show you how how wild and bad people actually can be in real time. Yesterday was a hell of a day for YouTube and and, and I. So let's just start here. Um, 
the 60 minutes thing I did with Ray Epps, I'd take 30, I had to trim 33 minutes out of the video for that to stay up on YouTube. So I got basically CBS blocked it everywhere. They blocked the whole thing. So I had no choice. You can watch, obviously, uh, the full unadulterated video on Rumble and Rockfin. Still not streaming on, on Twitter. Still no access to the media studio. Still don't have that blue check mark that I paid for for a year. Hoping, hoping that changes. But then I wake up early in the morn and I see that they have taken down, and I, I thought maybe they were going to give me a strike and I wasn't going to be able to stream to YouTube today. They've taken down Alex Jones' fourth hour, the club you ain't in, meeting in the Grove again. This is last summer. It's been up almost a year. I appealed it, and within moments, I mean moments, I think before 6 a.m. today, uh, they, they rejected that appeal. It's on my phone and everything. Nope, sorry. Can't talk about the Bohemian Grove. But really what they're saying now is um, that if they've deplatformed other creators, I wasn't posting content from creators that are restricted or have been terminated under our terms. So they're constantly updating it. And uh, the video was one where I did have to rip it, and it does have the InfoWars logo on it and the band.video uh, logo. That may be enough because obviously – Alex Jones isn't in it. It's really, a, it's just me reading directly from uh, the long ago and the later on, playing parts of my documentary films, talking about the Good Shepherd and Skull and Bones. This? Oh, didn't want to do that. Um, but but really, I think a pretty good video, pretty important video. Gone. See you later. Bye YouTube. They love doing that. Can't get enough. Okay. So let's start here. Impossible to grasp. Polyamorous trio faces over 100 years in prison for extreme child abuse, sexual abuse, threats, and torture involving BB guns, whips, and paddles. Take a good look. Take a good look right there. Okay. And look, they look cracked out. They look terrible. That's a view of some monsters. We're going to see the other side of that spectrum shortly. But I th I think I, I need to emphasize people don't understand what vicious predators are actually capable of. Okay? They just they don't get it. Thruple. Robert Chavez on the left, Kelsey Cabrera center, and Amanda Johnson on the right pleaded out on a myriad of child abuse charges in Butte County, California, on April 19th, 2023. They face over 100 years in prison collectively for multiple counts of child sexual abuse and torture. Um, no plea deals. Sorry. Jail forever. No plea deals. Jail forever. Robert Chavez, 41, pleaded no contest earlier this week to numerous charges of physical abuse, sexual abuse, and torture that came after over a year's worth of violence inside his residence in the small town of Megalia, according to Butte County District Attorney's Office. All right. I, I, I don't want to read too much of it because it's grotesque and unreal. 
Prosecutors say Chavez's reign of household terror impacted five minor children between the ages of four and 16 years old. Specifically, his plea was in relation to multiple counts of rape and molestation of four female children and one count of torture of a young boy. It's hard. And this, if I wanted to do these stories every single day, I could do them every single day. And that, that to me is why certain Twitter accounts, Dalton Report's one of them. Uh, I, I do respect an open secret. I know that's a, a volatile subject, but they, they put out only real stuff. Okay, only real stuff. T take a good look. So, so BB guns, torture, sex abuse. Chavez faces 80 years to life in a state prison. The female defendants face up to 10 years and eight months each in prison. That's, it, it's a travesty. All of them jail forever. Jail forever. So you take a look at a picture like that. You're like, okay. Scum of the earth, total trash. You're not surprised. How about this one? Socially, mom, 45, is arrested in CP Sting at Virginia Hotel where she allegedly planned to sexually abuse an eight-year-old girl. Now federal judge, uh, ex-husband, federal judge, ex-husband, federal judge, ex-husband, launches court battle to win full custody of their daughters age 10 and 12. So this is the other tier of society. Okay, you understand? Federal judge in Virginia is fighting for full custody of his two young uh, daughters after the high society ex-wife was arrested at a hotel where she allegedly planned to sexually assault an eight-year-old girl, DailyMail.com can exclusively reveal. Eleanor Hunton Hope, 45, a member of one of Virginia's most prominent families, was snared in an FBI sting last month after messaging an undercover agent explicit and sickening details about what she wanted to do to the child, according to the court filings. The mother of two, who has been charged with CP and child sex abuse offenses, is also accused of sending the agent a 30-second video and three stills of a young minor being horrifically abused by men. So again, that, that that's a monster right there. Take a good look. She allegedly used the screen name Tito Tori and started an email chat with another user who was an undercover FBI task force officer based in the DC field office and operating out of a satellite location. Oh man, taboo parenting. The undercover officer responded he was the father of a young girl, at which point Hope directed the agent to a social media app that encrypts messages. So, I mean, again, you think that you're having some encryption talk, too. It's just it's crazy. Crazy. She repeatedly said she wanted to help the father introduce the eight-year-old to sexual activity. And around March 12th, it was agreed she would travel from her home, it is alleged. 
Not done. Not done. Drag mom who mentored 11-year-old child drag queen at Satan-themed Oregon pub is sentenced to less than one year in prison for 11 felony child sex crimes. But yeah, no, it's totally fine for this stuff. We're the bigots. We, we're the bigots. A drag mom and former elementary school teacher has been sentenced to less than a year in prison after being convicted of felony child abuse crimes. Kelsey Metaburen, 31, pled guilty to 11 counts of encouraging child sexual abuse in the first degree last month. Sentenced to 330 days in jail. That's it. Just 30 days for each charge. I mean, uh, this person is a child abuser. Belongs nowhere near any children. Ever. One count of using a child in a display of sexually explicit content was dismissed by the court. Oh, is that lovely? Court documents revealed they found evidence she had been uploading and exchanging CP on the internet on multiple occasions. The child performer, whose stage name is Vanellope McPherson DuPont, did not take the stage at their st drag. I mean, uh, that's child abuse. I just, oh, God, that makes me angry. And I've waited a few days to do these stories because they're just so grotesque and over the top. So grotesque and over the top. And, and again, uh, we could do that stuff all day, every day on this show. All day, every day. To just talk about that. Not healthy, in my opinion. People certainly need to know about it so we can bring these people to justice. It's not something to take lightly. I can also promise you that. All right. I want, I want to move on to uh, quite a few other news stories, by the way. Um, this one in particular, Elon Musk's SpaceX Starship rocket blows up minutes after launch. No kidding. <laughs> we're going to the moon and we're going to Mars. No, we're not. Thumbs up, subscribe, and share, everybody. We're going to the moon. We're going to Mars. And I post this stuff. And, the, the, you know, they're trying to have rockets that can land. And, boy, the... the People love to troll me when I say that because I, because I say things like, yeah, rockets aren't taking us to the moon and Santa Claus isn't real either. And boy, that hurts people's feelings. They, they want to go back to that Apollo program. I'd say I'm more familiar with Apollo and Gemini than most. And, and I, I think that rockets are dandy and that there is actually a real secret space program and separate propulsion systems that do run parallel uh, to what's openly out there, but at, at a much more compartmentalized scale than people imagine. And there's the possibility that we may actually have gone far beyond the moon, in my opinion. But rockets ain't doing it. They highly volatile. You know how hard it is 
to get into Earth orbit, just to get into Earth orbit, sending people things to space, however you want to define that, because now they're saying that they found atmosphere up to 400,000 miles away. And they tell us the moon is about 250,000 miles away. And they also tell us that since the Apollo missions, no astronauts have gone more than 400 miles away. Big jump from 400 to 250,000 and back. And back with stuff that explodes all the time. All the time. Okay. I point that out. Boy, people get mad. Gee, I mean, the consp- they, they start talking about Bigfoot. They get so mad. Because, you know, we, we focus on Bigfoot a lot here and the Loch Ness Monster and Elvis and uh, all sorts of uh, alien stuff here. Oh, wait, we don't? No, we're not the History Channel late at night or during the day or on weekends and marathons. We're not them. No, we're not. No, we're not. And that's why I think that this is also absurd. China vows to build a space station on the moon by 2030, up to four years before NASA. So we're not just going to the moon and going to Mars. We're building space stations on the moon. China is anyway. Is anybody buying this at this point? I'm sorry. Like, I get it. We've been been groomed through Hollyweird and sci-fi and all these things um, to believe this jackassery. But th- that's it. It's it's nothing more than total and complete jackassery. And I, I got to get Rob Ager on. I got to get Rob Ager on to destruct, uh, deconstruct 2001, a space odyssey, and the idea. I mean, I, I love Rob Ager, man. Rob Ager tears apart transhumanism and the merging with machines and the singularity folks. And he believes that Really, the true meaning of 2001, A Space Odyssey, is that, you know, all this this whole idea that we're going to travel the stars and you know, space travel is going to happen like that is total and complete bullshit. And I don't necessarily disagree. No, I do not. Let's jump to some Biden stories and then we'll hit some clips of Joey B, a.k.a. Zombie J, a.k.a. I have no idea. So... Biden has finally confirmed he's in the mix. Here it is. Let's do it. He's back. Freedom. Personal freedom is fundamental to who we are as Americans. There's nothing more important, nothing more sacred. That's been the work of my family. You can't barely walk or speak and look at this slick edit job already first turn to fight for our democracy this shouldn't be a red revolution to protect our rights to make sure that everyone in this country is treated equally and that everyone is given a fair shot at making it but you know around the country MAGA extremists are lining up to take on those bedrock freedoms cutting social security you paid for your entire life while cutting taxes for the very wealthy, dictating what health care decisions women can make, banning books and telling people who they can love, all while making it more difficult for you to be able to vote. We got the slow-mo, slow-mo Kamala Embarrass 
fake talking to Joe shot. Thank goodness we have that shot. When I ran for president four years ago, I said we were in a battle for the soul of America, and we still are. The question we're facing is whether in the years ahead, we have more freedom or less freedom, more rights or fewer. I know what I want the answer to be, and I think you do too. I mean, I know what the people that control you want, and it's certainly less freedom under the guise of more freedom and democracy. Again, not even the mainstream media and those on the left want Joe Biden to run. And here's the announcement. We're doing it. We're doing, I mean, can you imagine they impose another four years of this? Uh, I mean, he can't speak. He can't talk. And, and the person under him clearly doesn't run anything either. It's a, it's a parody of that damn parody show Veep on HBO when it comes to Embarrass. This is not a time to be complacent. That's why I'm running for re-election. Because I know America. I know we're good and decent people. I know we're still a country that believes in honesty and respect and treating each other with dignity. That we're a nation where we give hate no safe harbor. We believe that everyone is equal that everyone should be given a fair shot to succeed in this country. Oh, yeah, there he is. We, we did it. We broke, the, we broke the ceiling with a judge that can't define what a woman is. That doesn't know. Katanji Jackson Brown. That She's got three names. You better believe it. Three. Three names. It's big. Every generation of Americans have faced a moment when they have to defend democracy. Stand up for our personal freedom. Stand up for the right to vote and our civil rights. And this is our moment. I like pit bulls. They got me. That's a good-looking dog right there. I better vote Joe Biden. I mean, this is out of control. So if you're with me, go to JoeBiden.com. Let's finish this job. I know we can. Because this is the United States of America. There's nothing, simply nothing we cannot do for that. How many takes do you think that it took, even though they edited that? What do you think, about three hours? Three hours? For, let's finish the job. Okay. <laughs> I, I, in fact, does that mean, I, I've, I've read somewhere, Democrats won't hold primary debates. Let's see what we got here. Yep. Democrats say they will not hold debates. Oh, you know, that's on Fox News. But here's a... Uh, that one chick there. Oh, he said chick. He's a misogynist. Marianne Williamson knocks DNC over lack of debates as Biden campaign launch nears. DNC uh, plans no primary debates. None. None. 
Hey, he's the guy. It's Joe Biden or nothing. You better believe it. Let's see. Joe Biden polling with Democrats. Let's type that in. Joe Biden polling with Democrats. Let's see. 70% of Americans don't think Joe Biden should run in 2024. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, look, it's so obvious. The guy can't speak, can't do anything, but he's their guy because he'll say anything and he'll do anything that they ask. Here he is talking about how the children, the children are, are our children. It's everybody's children. Rebecca put a teacher's creed into words when she said, there's no such thing as someone else's child. No such thing as someone else's child. Our nation's children are all our children. Nope. 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 But again, he doesn't really know where he is most of the time. And the agenda is to what eliminate parental uh, oversight over your kids give the state more control over your children destroy any type of notion of the nuclear family where uh, the, the daddy and the mommy procreate and that they have any kind of rights um, this is it it's the takeover they've said they wanted your kids before now they're coming to take them i'll take it to do all right, I got some more clips here, and uh, we got this Gates clip to break down. And really, th this is the linchpin of just about everything. I've also got this ban fossil fuels by another one of these uh, esteemed people with a foreign accent speaking in English, saying we must stop investment in the fossil fuels. They're looking to cut off the power, and they're looking to do so under the guise of climate change and really do everything under the guise of climate change. Climate change, climate change, climate change. Did I mention the climate change? So before we do that, because I've got an RFK Jr. clip that is, it's juicy. It's, it's big time. It's got to go in the second hour. Can't play it here on YouTube. In 22 minutes, we haven't plugged once. I'll be going to redvoicemedia.com slash Jason, redvoicemedia.com, slash uncensored. Try it out for a buck for one week. If you don't like it, cancel it, but please don't cancel it. 10 bucks a month, $100 for the year. Lock it in. Tell them Jason Burma sent you. Uh, I know a lot of people are going to have to save those streaming dollars for whatever the Tuckins does, but until we get there, consider Red Voice Media. Plenty of us. So, um, this is somebody that they don't want to have a, a place on a stage in an actual debate and show that there would be Democrats behind him because they want to paint him as a evil conspiracy theorist and far right, even though he's been a lifelong Democrat. And that's Robert uh, F. Kennedy Jr., who's also running for president. Now, let, let's let's see in stark contrast Joe Biden and his America and that propaganda and uh, what we're gonna see with RFK Jr. What we need in the United States is not division. What we need in the United States is not hatred. 
What we need in the United States is not violence and lawlessness, but is love and wisdom and compassion toward one another. Every nation has a darker side, and the easiest thing for a politician to do is to appeal to our hatred and our anger and our bigotry and greed and xenophobia and all the alchemies of demagoguery. My father and my uncle had a vision for America, a vision of racial harmony, of prosperity for all Americans, of peace in the world, and of honest government. Their lives were tragically cut short, and America took a different path. Yet the possibility they foresaw is still alive, the America that almost was and yet may be. I've been fighting corporate corruption my entire life, but I understand that today, the problem is much larger than a few crooked individuals. The problem is a system that no longer serves the people and a people who are so divided and so fearful that they are easily ruled. It's time to unlearn the reflexes of fear and blame and find ways to unify ourselves and turn our country around. I won't pretend to you that it will be easy, but I know what it will take. My father said it, love, wisdom, and compassion toward one another. And that's where we need to start. We will scale down the war machine and bring our resources home. We will rebuild our water systems, repair our roads, modernize our railroads, and clean up our environment. We will also clean up government and earn back the people's trust. We will end the secrecy, the censorship, and the surveillance. We will again be a fearless land of liberty. The cost of freedom is always high, but Americans have always paid it. We will face honestly the darker parts of our history, the genocide, the racism, not to shame or blame or punish, but to repair as best we can in a spirit of compassion and kindness toward all. I'm inviting all of you to join me to create an America that we can believe in and be proud of again. I'm Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and I'm running for President of the United States. So I think that's a stark contrast to what we saw with, um, you know, literally Biden's commercial starts off with the fear mongering technique of the evil January Sixthers. The evil January Sixers, not here. And look, I don't disagree with any of that. I'd love to get rid of real pollution. I hope that doesn't involve some kind of CO2 regulation that plays into uh, the globalist hands. But uh, I'm behind this guy, guys. I'm behind him. You know what? Let's 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 take questions and comments for about eight minutes. And then we're going to go to the Gates clip. Let's see what we got here. Let's see what the chat's chatting about. Let's see if there's trolls are trolling. Let's see. Why does he mean by telling them who to love? What is he talking about? And that's in the Joe Biden. Yes, yes, we're telling people who to love. I, I, you do as, as an adult? You want to love another adult? Great. I'm all about the love. I'm all about the love. But then again, I'm not an extreme MAGA Republican. And I'm so sick of hearing about the other side. Shut the tuck up. Shut the tuck up. One would have to understand what love is in the first place, and 80% of folks have no idea what it really is. I think there are a lot of detached folks out there, JC. Um, did they make this video on an iPhone? <laughs> they tried to make it uh, uh, that way. 
Yes, they certainly can marry snowflakes. Snowflakes nightmare. The big boy signs are uh, are our to vote for Trump in 2024. Goodbye, woke Fox. Uh, I mean, Fox, I think, is going to be out of control. I I don't think Fox was that great in the first place. Uh, Tucker was that shining star because he did tell a lot more truth than anybody else in the mainstream. And and a lot of it was just common sense and in your face. And if you watch the premium broadcast yesterday where we did the watch along with uh, his video talking about, he called it out for what it is, just plain evil. Let me say it again. Just plain evil. Let's see. I am getting secondhand embarrassment from this video. Bet you are. Um, put the putts in the millstone column for with his son. Go compare your personal freedoms with the freedoms of the Federal Reserve, Pentagon contractors, and big tech. Hooah! I agree. Let's see. The music felt like the final countdown. Yikes. I don't know about that. Let's hope we don't get a copyright strike for pre- playing the presidential ad. My goodness. Selling the soul of America, I will not consent. But it's about dignity. It's about equity. We have never been less free and had fewer rights. Correct. And Biden and the Trumpet both work for them. Again, not not a a big fan of of a lot of the Trump either. The election will be real, but it will take place on the moon. (laughs) Remember when uh, Biden promised not to run again? Then the handlers realized how easy it is to get their way with a demented old man. Although the, the, that GoFundMe Burmese Brigade thing should be down. Is that even, is that in my links? I don't know if that, if, if it is, I don't think, I don't think that, uh, I'm going to click on it really quick. If it is, I haven't, yeah, eight months ago was the last time. I think I, I, I can't believe I haven't locked myself out of that thing. The Burmese Brigade Media. Let's see. Oh. My ad blocker just jumped right in there, huh? They didn't like that. No, they did not. Let's keep going down. Uh, Let's see. Some are more equal than others. Little animal form quote right there. Just vote at your local moon. I am more concerned about the illegal aliens that may end up in my backyard after May 11th. I don't know where your backyard is. It's not a concern for this guy. And the party lies and lies and lies like AOC's lies about Tucker. I'm from the left, but I'm one of the sane leftists who look at facts. Thank you, Friendly Brilliant. Appreciate those facts. Let's see. Uh, Van 100, the artwork is so gray. He lives in Delaware. That should say it all. 3,000 takes for that one. Could be. Could be. I have trouble watching Joe. He's disgusting. In 1974, I bought a four-year-old used car with money I earned bailing hay. Now my grandson is looking at a at 10-year-old cars that cost more than my first house. That is correct. Isn't that wild? Like back in the Dizay 80s, you can still get a decent house for under $30,000 in a lot of places. In a lot of places. Sometimes a pretty good one for like twenty. Not anymore. No, 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 no. Uh, This is so laughable. You guys know that's an AI speech program talking in the commercial. (laughs) Anything's possible. Meanwhile, gas, food, and everything else is too expensive. So go shoot some hoops. LOL. I do have a, a great video of a woman attacking 
a medical robot in uh, in what appears to be China. And if that's the resistance, stop the robots. Um, let's see. What a liar. I hear you, friendly brilliant. Oh, go watch Doc Rich. He explains the difference between democracy and a republic. Brought to you by the iPhone 14. Lowest of the Joe, or lowest of the low, Joe CCP Ho, LOL. Let's see. Brought to you by holograms. <laughs> Where is America with Biden? Nowhere great. Anthony interview. Uh, Anthony Russo interview says democracy is code for NWO 15 years ago. Banana Republic actually more fair. No debates, no pressers, perfectly democratic. Yes, no debates, no press conferences. Let's see. Let's see. We're going to get rid of this troll, huh? Let's just get rid of that person. Where, where is that? I'll do that. Let's see. Hide user on this channel. Sorry, buddy. We're, we're, we're not doing the the whole uh, let Glenn Maxwell Dell with, uh, with that moniker. He could die of old age any day. Let's see. Debates don't matter anyway. It's just... Uh, it's just a platform where they all die their their asses off and never do or lie their asses off and never do anything. Cats and dogs living together, men having babies, women knocking them up. RFK is going to endorse Biden just like Bernie did. Yikes. Yikes. I don't know about all that. I hope not. Hope not. All right. Let's play this Gates clip and we'll jump in from time to time. But here's Billy Gates explaining how climate is really the underlying agenda for everything. You know, even as I'm doing all this climate thing, that's going to remain the by far the primary source of my philanthropic dollars are what's what's going through the foundation. Well, that, I, I wondered about that a little bit because in the book, I mean, you talk about your pathway to getting to these climate issues is coming through your understanding of, of what needs to happen in low-income countries and their need to electrify um, and kind of emerging that with your recognition that if climate change isn't slowed down and, and addressed, um, that the good work that you're doing in global health is really undone by the See, health for peace and peace for health. Let's wrap it in a climate change basket that so how do you in your mind why how do you rationalize spending more of your resources and and energy in global health when um, everything is kind of the underlining of everything is really climate change well the year 2000 saw over 10 million children die below the age of five and today with the great work that are, we've done with our partners, including creating things like Global Fund and Gavi. So Gavi and the Global Fund are saving lives, even though climate change is at the underlying cause of everything. It's the underlying everything. Uh, that's under five million a year. And you know we have a uh, path to get it down from that five million to two and a half million. So we're driving for health justice where a child knowing the world has, you know, uh, a 5% chance of dying before they see their fifth birthday. And we still have places, even without war, that are, it's 15 to 20%. That's where we're expert. You know, our malaria team, our vaccine factory team, 
uh, and that's where we're going to stay committed. He loves talking about his V factories, doesn't he? Look at that big smile. Big old smiley Billy. And the returns on that, the impact of that is phenomenal. It also happens that as kids grow up more healthily, their parents choose to have less kids. And so between improving health and getting uh, voluntary family planning tools out there, there is a, a connection with climate. Yeah, see, the connection with climate is less kids. Oh, they have less kids, less humans, better for the climate. You're the carbon they want to reduce. Also, our foundation, because of our agriculture work, is the biggest funder of climate adaptation. Uh, and that involves, in many cases, giving better seeds to these subsistence farmers so they can deal with the kind of drought and floods and higher temperature. You know, And you're going to hear some wild things. Wild things. Don't worry. We're GMO creating the seeds that everybody needs because now droughts and extreme weather events, not one in every two years for crop failure. It's one in every four, maybe even three. And it's all from climate change, all from the boogeyman. The boogeyman did it. The boogeyman. The climate makes a lot of crops way less productive and increases the number of years you have a crop failure from about one in 10 right now to one in four, even one in three. So that, you know, that adaptation work where I chaired the commission with a number of people and really tried to bring more attention to adaptation, you know, because we can't, we're not going to get away with zero degrees increase. And I'm not even sure what that means. We're not going to get away with zero degrees increase. Huh? Huh? So, I mean, the way I would interpret that is even if you did everything these people said and they got down to that zero degrees, it's still not enough. Just like when the Club of Rome has their, their wonder computer machine that predicted what? Oh, doom and gloom and we need to reduce the population. There was no scenario where everything went good, no matter what they did. None. You know, these equatorial subsistence farmers are suffering the most, uh, and that's most of the poor people in the world. So, you know, the foundation through its health and reproductive health and agriculture work, uh, you know, it's helping with climate, but that's not the primary lens uh, that that foundation money is spent on. It's spent on saving uh, lives, which, you know, is still, I think, a super, super important thing. They you know, the foundation actually can fund the creation of a new vaccine. We're the biggest funders in all the diseases we work on except HIV, which is the one where the, the U.S. government uh, spends more than we do, and then it's a gigantic drop to number three. In the case of climate change, you know, even the money that I have, uh, if it was all applied in this direction, uh, you know, I put in $2 billion so far, I'll put in another $2 billion over the next five years, that's not enough to solve it. The it's just we don't just don't we gotta have trillions. We need a Marshall Plan. Remember that? That's Prince Charles. That's the UN. That's Davos. Climate lockdowns. All that sorts of good stuff. Role of of high risk investing and philanthropy in creating programs like fellows and ventures and catalyst. 
the role of philanthropy is is to start things out, uh, but it's really government policy has to carry this one. The energy market is a five trillion dollar a year market. You know, for example, for and I think that's important. Five trillion dollars a year. The energy market. So I was watching Club Random, which is the Bill Maher podcast, and he had Fred Durst of Limp Biscuit on. And yes, guilty pleasure. Uh, I like the Limp Biscuit. Went and saw him live last year. Great time, fun time. Loved it. Had a good time. Now Durst starts bringing up zero point energy with and UAPs in the same sentence with Mar, and Mar strikes him down pretty hard. Okay, and and I'm not sitting here telling you I believe in zero point energy from them taking um, energy from the vacuum of space as Fred was trying to describe, etc. I have no idea. But to think that certain types of energy have not been suppressed because they are too efficient and would give cheap or nearly free energy to the vast majority of the populace would be ignorant because controlling the energy of a population, all right, ensures there will be a hierarchy and then you can socially engineer how far you would like that population to what? Economically develop, militarily develop, period. How much energy you have is in direct correlation to that. What your energy infrastructure is. When you don't have power, people freeze. When you don't have power, okay, people can't cook as well. They can't travel. Just, just basic facts. So it's not in their interest to develop that sort of thing. Nuclear fission, the U.S. government gave TerraPower an award, you know, where I agreed to fund half of the demo plant uh, with private sector money and the government's funding the other half. You know, that will be an amazing tool if that all goes well and we can get the public acceptance. That will give you the reliability of power sources, even when the weather is shutting down uh, the intermittent sources of solar and wind. And the thing is, look, he even admits right here that nuclear is the better, more stable option when they can't get solar or wind power. You don't ever, again, that, that's the whispered part of it. The big part is that you have to do your part to reduce your carbon. You better just roll your sleeve up anytime you're asked and get ready for a carbon credit system of command and control also based in your social credit score and stop believing those pesky, pesky conspiracy theorists. So on the flip side of the break, which is about to come up for uh, the free portion of the broadcast, go to redvoicemedia.com slash Jason, redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored, $10 a month, just 10 beans or a hundred for the year. Lock it in. Tell them Jason Burma sent you. Send people over to the free portion of the broadcast. And remember, all of it's free in audio format right now over at the Podbean. So you can listen in. You can go over there. You're enjoying it. I enjoy it. I want to get this information out. This uh, fossil fuel clip that's coming up is big time. I also have um, what we may end up doing a watch along, at least some of, depends. I've got some other clips on the second half of this piece from 1982. 
with uh, Mike Wallace talking about the CIA and Nazi connection via Operation Paperclip. So with that being said, I'm going to shoot it to my producer and tell him let's uh, go over to the other side. And I'm going to say goodbye uh, to each of the platforms over there. Rumble, you know, you, I'm glad you're here. Again, we pay to stream on Rumble, so thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're not subscribed on Rumble, go subscribe on Rumble. Thumbs up, share, everything like that. Thank you, Rumble. YouTube, you know the drill. Uh, I love you, but I can't stand the fact that I'm constantly censored. I can't make money, that you're part of the narrative control system, and that you're a, a really a Trojan horse civilian system. So it, it's upsetting. It's upsetting. And Rockfin, we'll we'll see you also. By the way, uh, Rockfinners, check out the uh, fact of we're putting up videos all over from Making Sense of the Madness uh, to also including the Union of the Unwanted I was on recently. Okay, and there goes that. believe that that was my text. I could have swore we are good to go. I thought I had her on vibrant. Okay. Let's uh let's play this clip right here. This is uh actually before we we play the banned fossil fuels clip. Now that we're on the uncensored portion of the broadcast, let's let's watch RFK Jr. rip apart Fauci and Remdesivir. You want to treat them at home? Well, give them the things that we know kill viral replication, zinc and anything that enhances zinc, like hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and a hundred other remedies that we now know dramatically reduce the spread of this disease. And what was our protocol? Our protocol was to do none of that. No treatment until you go to the hospital. And then your treatment are two things that are bound to kill you, ventilators and remdesivir. And Tony Fauci knew that remdesivir would kill you. He knew that because in 2019, he tried to put, use it for Ebola 2019. He tried to use it for Ebola, and within five days of treatment, it gave lethal side effect to 54% of the people. And the safety monitoring board ordered him to terminate the use of that drug. And he threw a phony, contrived, absolutely fraudulent study that he manipulated and orchestrated of that drug made standard of care. It is homicide. It is homicide. And it happened to my family and they killed my aunt with it. And, you know, they lied to my uncle and told him it was the same as ivermectin. And then they also vented my cousin and put him on remdesivir. He was in his early 30s. And somehow he barely survived with massive kidney damage now because of the remdesivir. And if you look, how does it kill people? Two ways, three ways. Kidney failure heart failure, and all organ collapse. And what happened to the people who died in the pandemic? What were they dying of? Kidney failure. All the doctors said, you heard it again and again, we've never seen a virus that attacks the kidneys because it wasn't the virus. It was the remdesivir. Of course it was the remdesivir. They legally got away with murder. And this is more than a nation state operation, in my opinion. This is global players. This is the cabal. Don't look over here. And uh, this next clip, 
I know we, we were going to play the uh, energy clip, which we will. But I, I want to show um, this right here where Rand Paul is interviewed about Fauci. And Fauci just straight up, you know, creates a straw man argument about the quote unquote lab leaks. And I'm not a lab leak guy. I want to make that very clear. All right. I think this was intentionally seeded. Is that a thought crime? Based on the evidence, intentionally seeded bioweapon. And then restricting you from treating it with the most basic of things. Well, Senator, we want to give you a chance to respond to something Dr. Fauci said about you uh, during this uh, documentary uh, about him that was just released this week. Rand Paul was insidiously throwing into his little questions that the work that was done in the Wuhan lab funded by a small grant from insidious insidious oh the insidious nature of his questions they've got the da NIH a strong implication that that created a virus that made COVID I have 10,000 grants throughout the world what they've done is that they've looked at various grants and they make something of it that it isn't. The microbe they were working on not only was not SARS-CoV-2, it would be molecularly impossible for them to turn it into SARS-CoV-2. They were so different. It's kind of like you have a Chevrolet and you got a motorcycle. And you say, I want to make that Chevrolet into the motorcycle. No matter what you do to that Chevrolet, you're not going to make it into a motorcycle. Look how gleeful he is as he has his little captive audience and creates his little, what? Straw man argument. Straw man argument. Uh, whatever was released clearly came from a lab, was clearly created in a lab. I don't think was leaked, but this is the guy that continues to try to spread the zoonotic, the, the biological, the natural virus. Okay, sure, okay. Like, what are you talking about? Can't turn a car into a motor motorcycle, case closed. Uh, this research could not have caused COVID. Does that make sense to you? Well, he's arguing a straw man argument. We have never argued that anything that's been published by the Wuhan lab became COVID-19. What we are arguing is that the lab in Wuhan has over 100 coronaviruses that they've manipulated in lab and have not published. We also know that in 2018, they asked the U.S. government for money to do research where they would take a coronavirus and insert a furin cleavage site. A furin cleavage site is a special part of the S protein that allows the virus to infect humans easier. And DARPA turned them down. This is an agency of the Defense Department because they thought it was too dangerous. But we know they were asking to do this. And a year later, a year and a half later, lo and behold, we get COVID-19. And what is COVID-19? A coronavirus with a furin cleavage site. So we turn up with a very unusual virus that's not been seen in nature before that is exactly what they asked us to create a year before. Coincidence? In the city where most all of the world's coronaviruses are stored coincidence i mean there's just too much going on here and what we want to do is look at all of the grants and i've been petitioning the state department nih hhs um, defense department you name it i've been trying to get information on all of these grants because i want to know what else was either rejected or funded 
Dr. Fauci is disingenuous. He is conflicted. And the reason he's conflicted is that if this came from the lab that he funded, he shares culpability. And he's been trying to cover this up from the beginning. There's a great deal of information that from January of 2020, in the early days, a cover-up began and it continued for Fauci's entire uh, term in office. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm telling you, October, November, at latest, COVID-1984 was in the United States. 100%. And that's not part of that narrative either. No, no, no. Simply no. But again, we have to believe the authoritative sources because they know better than us. They're the real news and the real folks. Um, and just like that, before, you know, because he mentioned DARPA, reminded me I had this story up here. This is DARPA's Twitter. And this just shows you like th this tweet for some, it does have the, the, the thing that has 20 plus thousand views, but only 32 retweets. Okay, 30, 32 retweets. That'd be good for Jason Burmas. Not great. DARPA's new TELUS program will explore the development of an interactive platform methodology for the rapid design of microbe-based sense and respond devices for monitoring DOD-relevant environments. This is the Internet of Bodies under the skin. Okay? See? Environmental sense and respond platforms with enhanced breadth and re resolution. Now, when I say, you know, this is under the skin, this is everything. This is everything. This is remote sensing of everything, not just you, biology all around us. Current envi environmental monitoring approaches can rely on both distributed sensor networks on the ground or in the water and remote sensing platforms like satellites to collect information uh, to collect information important for the protection of people and property. The Department of Defense is interested in developing new complementary sensors. Oh, oh, to monitor the environment with high spatial resolution and reduced power and logistical burden to further enhance monitoring capabilities and slightly reduce potential risk to personnel. Recent research has demonstrated that microbes such as bacteria fungi or microlidge offer promise for detecting different types of input signals, including both chemical, e.g. toxic or radioactive materials, heavy metal pollutants, and physical phenomenon, e.g. light, electric current, and magnetic fields. All things that can carry information, by the way. I've shown you the, the light internet, etc. Electric currents, magnetic fields. Microbes can also generate both chemical and physical output signals in response to sensing these inputs. The ability to detect and convert signals um, be self-powering and environmental resilience are microbial features that may complement other sensing approaches. And remember, when I play Bushnell, he talks about you know, 24-7, 365 global surveillance via these sensor networks. And that's the goal. DARPA's new TELUS program will explore the development of an interactive platform methodology for the rapid design of micro-based sense and response devices for monitoring DOD-relevant environments. Specifically, DARPA seeks to establish the range of chemical and physical signals 
that microbial devices can detect environmental conditions they can tolerate and types of output signals that can be generated to this end. TELUS will focus on developing the methodology to enable the rapid design of agile, robust, reliable, and durable microbial sensors for environmental monitoring. This is everything. It's the ultimate track trace database in your grizzle right here. The microbial devices developed during the two and a half year program must be able to translate detected signals into a variety of physical or chemical output signals, including again, light, non-toxic organic compounds or electric current, which can then be measured by conventional receiver systems. Uh, I don't know what the optoelectronic, I do know uh, photonic imaging electrode. In addition to method uh, development, TELUS is focused on assessing sensor functionality across many different environments and conditions. As remote environmental monitoring for chemicals, pollutants, and changing conditions is an area of national security interest, microbial sensing uh, systems that are capable of detecting multiple types input targets, relaying a variety of output signals at a distance and operating unattended for long durations are desired. Isn't that great? As part of the program, DARPA will test quickly new functional devices that can be designed, built, and tested using specific parameters, stated Dr. Linda Chrisley, Tesla's program manager. Ultimately, we envision a dashboard or interface where a user would dial in features of their environment, the inputs they want to detect, and the outputs signals that are useful to them. And the system would design a safe, effective microbial uh, microbial i'm sorry device to meet those needs uh, apparently you're going to see uh, i think it's uh, the proposition in may may 2nd so coming right up around the corner about a week from today isn't that great you can look at all this stuff yourself it's on the internet all right here is the banned fossil fuel gentlemen just ban it just get rid of it that we ban investing in it. Goodbye. The agreed goal that humanity should try to keep the temperature below plus two degrees centigrade. How to implement? So the problem is clear. The simplest solution is obvious. How do we, and it is technically feasible. It is not very expensive. You know, how do we get it implemented? The simplest solution is, of course, to ban the investment in new fossil capacity starting next year. Or just ban it. Yeah, the, the simple solution is just say, no, we're banning it. It's ban hammer time. For two years into the future. So in other words, that we simply agree not to build new coal-fired utilities to generate electricity, new gas utilities to generate electricity that we decide not to allow the purchase of new fossil cars from two years into the future so everyone has to buy an electric car can you imagine what a wonderful signal to the world's car industry what a wonderful signal I'm forcing people to, to buy vehicles that in some cases can't really be serviced like a another car that's batteries 
All right. That's batteries. Once they fail, that basically is a car. We'll just force people to do it. We'll ban investments and we'll force people. I mean, none of this sounds like authoritarianism to anybody. Sounds like authoritarianism to this guy. Finally, they would know, you know, that there is a market and that they do not need initially to compete with, with the fossil car prices, but only with each other. And on the third side, basically say that from 2020, it is illegal to heat your home with fossil fuels. You know, from that on, you do heat with electricity and heat pumps. And in the... I get, we're going to shut your power off. You're like, if, if you don't have... Too bad. Oh, no, just going to use the heat pumps and the electricity. They're talking about shutting off the power. Shutting off the power. Come on. Come on. Poor world, or in the, sorry, in the warm world, you know, you keep running your air conditioners, but they will be running on sun and wind. Most people at this point in time argue that this should be done not through a ban or a regulation, which was was I what which was what I just proposed, that this should be done through a carbon price. Just keeps getting better, right? He's like, I proposed total authoritarianism, but let's, the, you're proposing this techno-fascism thing, which could also work. And is, again, part of the integrated command and control plan, which is in large part authoritarianism under another guise. Uh, my sad uh, observation after having spent 20 years working on getting a carbon price in place is that this will not work because of the popular resistance against a high uh, carbon price. It is impossible for politicians to tighten the ceiling so that the price goes up. We are now, after 20 years, at a carbon price of 5 euros per ton of CO2. And notice, you need a carbon price of 100 euros per ton of CO2 in order to make an electric car cost competitive. 100 euros per ton of CO2. We will never get to 100 euros per ton of CO2. It's much, much, much simpler to simply pass the ban that from 2018 on, you know, people buy new electric cars, not new fossil cars. The ban, 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 ban. That's easier. There is exist luckily uh, a final way. Uh, subsidies is the third option. You know, you can use in order to implement policies like this. You can either use the price me mechanism, the market, and then helped with a carbon price, or you can use my preferred option, a ban or a regulation, but you can, of course, also subsidize. This has been done very successfully by, your, by Germany, your country, uh, over the 10 years from 1999 to 2010, during the Energiewende, when you, the state basically said that we will pay the full cost of introducing a solar panel or a windmill, uh, and we will spread the bill among all 80 million, or how many you are, uh, Germans uh, afterwards. 
I mean, again, this is eco-fascism. And uh, essentially, you're looking at no-bid contracts in these subsidized schemes for things like wind that unfortunately just do not produce what they say it will and really cost more energy to create than they will ever put out, which is insane, which is insane, which is insane. And this worked very fine as long as the bill was small. When the bill got big, people said, we don't like such bills, and the thing was had to be forced back. But it worked long enough you know, to introduce enough sun and wind in the German system to kill the economics of the fossil industry, which was uh, important. We, in my country of Norway, is now repeating this thing in the area of electric cars. We have introduced a, a subsidy on electric cars, which reduces the cost of electric cars by 50%. So they actually are at the same level as the competition. So again, this would be a totally incomplete, unfair Brit business practice in any kind of practical capitalism that they constantly tell us that we have, where they're saying that it's going to be as cost efficient. So it's just going to magically become that price. No, we're all paying for it. And you subsidize that. Okay? It's an unfair business practice. It's not practical. And this has had tremendous effect. Norway has 0.1% of the population of the world, and we currently have 10% of all the electric cars in the world. Where I live in West Oslo, we have 25% of all the Teslas in the world is running in the western part of Oslo. Where I live, every 10 car is a Tesla. Of course, the opposition against subsidy schemes like this emerges very quickly and it is already in full swing in my country where the populist parties and the, the conservatives and the market people are of course aggressively trying to get rid of the subsidy while progressive people like myself and, and everyone else is of course trying to maintain this system in place as long as possible in order to help the electric car industry get as far as possible. We're mimicking, you know, what Germany did to the world's solar and, and, and wind uh, technology and, and profitability. So that's my simple message. We do have a problem. It has a totally obvious solution, namely to stop using coal, oil and gas. It is actually not very expensive when you do the uh, calculation. It is easily introduced in a very soft manner. And by the way, this is the Club of Rome. You can see it right here. That's the Club of Rome. Uh, they, they got the Copenhagen Climate Summit. This is an old video. Same deal. Okay. Command and control. Okay. Uh, I want to play this feel-good video of a woman just snapping on one of the health bots. This is the resistance. 
question is, what kind of jail time is this person going to serve at? She dared. She dared to hammer on the robot, the sacred bond. Remember, bots don't have uh, empathy for humans. It's weird. They're, they're the ultimate apathetic machine. Uh, that's certainly why we want them in healthcare. All right. Now, now for the fun part of the show. Not, not really fun, but fun enough for me because this is a really a historical piece that explains that Nazi-United States partnership when it came to the Central Intelligence Agency post-World War II. Take it away, Mike Wallace. Close to 200,000 Americans lost their lives fighting the Nazis in World War II, and yet hundreds of those Nazis and their collaborators eventually wound up living comfortably here in the United States, becoming U.S. citizens. How did it happen? That is the story we shall tell in The Nazi Connection, a story you have never heard till now of how highly placed U.S. officials, despite the express orders of two presidents of the United States, invited Nazi collaborators, killers, to these shores to trade what they knew about the Soviet Union for sanctuary here. So, again, uh, I was three years old when this report came out. And when Annie Jacobson did her book in 2013, in 2013, Operation Paperclip, I mean, 30 plus years later, there were still 600 million documents that were classified in regards to paperclip. So we're talking about 30 years after this, we have barely scratched the surface as to the importance of, of what transpired post-World War II with this Nazi ideology and personnel. Several hundred Nazi collaborators from Eastern Europe and Russia were smuggled into the United States for intelligence purposes. Smuggled by whom? State Department Intelligence, specifically the Office of Policy Coordination. It was the first covert spy agency set up in the United States. It predated the CIA by several months. Who is this man making these charges and what gives him the right to say what he has just said? His name is John Loftus, and for two years, he was a prosecutor with the Office of Special Investigations in the Department of Justice, responsible for weeding Nazis and Nazi collaborators out of the United States. His security clearance went three levels above top secret. But this young Irish Catholic attorney, now in private practice in Boston, has decided that his conscience demands that he bring to light what he says remained for too long, a dark and sinister top secret. We had one unit of the government out trying to prosecute the Nazis and other units of the government trying to secrete the information. So once again, it shows the inversion of reality. Okay, it shows the idea, oh, why would we do that? Well, when you're in compartmentalized programs, there are certain people that are like, no, I was in the government, we were fighting those guys. And then at the upper echelons, you're working with them. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Al CIA to anybody? 9 11 to anybody? Bueller? Bueller? We later established that 
the files pertaining to the Nazi immigration had been withheld from Congress, from the courts, from the CIA, and from the local agents of the Immigration Service. Didn't President Roosevelt, didn't President Truman say specifically that war criminals were not to be brought into the country? That's absolutely true. And Jimmy Carter went even further in 1980 when he said that any Nazi war criminal who had gotten into the United States should be rooted out. The world must never forget the lessons of the Holocaust. That is exactly the reason why, after 40 years of government inaction, I set up a special unit in the Department of Justice to root out Nazi war criminals who may be in hiding in the United States. I mean, hiding? Hiding in plain sight. Brought here specifically via numerous military programs. I mean, Werner Von Braun and NASA folks. Come on. Come on now. That was the unit John Loftus worked for, a unit that is still trying to denaturalize and or deport Nazi war criminals living in the United States. We asked Loftus who it was who had run the old OPC, the Office of Policy Coordination, that was responsible for bringing Nazi collaborators into the United States. A man by the name of Frank Wisner. He was a, a former intelligence operator during World War II. With the OSS? That's correct. His boss was Alan Dulles in Germany. The Office of Strategic Services, was it called? Yes, it was. Was there nobody in the State Department at a higher level who knew what was going on and, and okayed it? Did Frank Wisner have no boss? There were three men who principally were Eisenhower's representative for Cold War affairs during the early 50s. C.D. Jackson, Undersecretary of H.E.W. Nelson Rockefeller, and Vice President Richard Nixon. Would they have known that former Nazi war criminals were being employed by U.S. military intelligence and were being invited into the country, given U.S. citizenship, despite what they had done? I read some classified information that indicated that a number of these programs were approved at the highest levels. That's code word for, of course, yes, yes. Whether Richard Nixon, the late Nelson Rockefeller, and the late C.D. Jackson, former publisher of Time Life, whether they knew is still an open question. But if they didn't know, then they too were being lied to, as was the case with the Congress later on. The story begins here, when the Nazis invaded the Soviet Union in 1941. And by the way, you notice uh, Time Life was brought up there. Remember that? I mean, that's a big deal. They brought, brought in Time Life. Time Life. Just point that out. You know, Time Magazine, Life Magazine, that, I mean, it's in your face. In your face. Believe it. I mean, the media has always been an extension of the military-industrial complex and the predator class in one way or another. That doesn't mean there aren't good journalists. That doesn't mean that there wasn't a time when it was really the fourth estate. We've fallen away from that on numerous levels at this point. Let's, let's not fool ourselves. Let's not kid ourselves. Just a few months after the invasion began, the Nazis had captured huge tracts of territory that extended from the Ukraine to Belarusia. Belarusia was to be the Nazis' highway to Moscow. At first, the Nazis were welcomed as liberators by the people, scarred by the purges of Stalin. 
But that changed when the Einsatzgruppen, the Nazi mobile killing squads, entered. These units recruited collaborators from among the Soviet people to massacre hundreds of thousands of civilians. The Russian collaborators with the Nazis served so faithfully and so well that the Germans made the collaborators into their own SS division known as the Belarus SS. We're talking about the leaders of an SS division that fought against Americans and the leaders of a Nazi puppet government in Belarusia that by the end of the war had exterminated 25% of their civilian population, including nearly all of the country's Jewish population, some three quarters of a million Jews. I decided to pick one of the regions of Belarusia and see if we could find how many Nazi officials from that region were in the country. All of them. They knew that the entire... Hear that? All of them. All of them, they knew that the entire, the entire upper echelon, okay, the officer class, they knew they were here. Nazi government of Belarusia, the president, the vice presidents, cabinet ministers, governors, mayors, police chiefs, were all living in America. They knew that. Who's they? The FBI. Army counterintelligence, Army foreign intelligence, the Department of State. They knew and they recruited them because they were Nazis. As early as 1946, the major espionage services of the United States and the Soviet Union were engaged in a clandestine conflict. The demand for intelligence was so great that a seller's market sprang up. Hundreds of former Nazis and Nazi collaborators found employment in one intelligence service or another. A seller's market. You got to love it when there's a seller's market in the military industrial complex and the intel community in particular. A seller's market. A few of the boldest worked for both sides. According to Loftus, emigres with intimate, if dated, knowledge of Eastern Europe and former Nazi intelligence officers competed to peddle fabricated reports to any intelligence service gullible enough to buy them. And OPC was a willing buyer. But I still want to make this clear. Did U.S. military intelligence know the kind of people they were bringing in? Beyond a shadow of a doubt. Shortly after... That, that's an absolute... Of course they did, Mike. I want to be very clear. Yes, with beyond a shadow of a doubt. As in, yes, 100%, 110%, 1,000%. Yes, Mike. After being apprised of what Loftus had learned, Alan Ryan, head of the office Loftus worked in, sent a top-secret report in October 1980 to then-Attorney General Benjamin Civiletti, saying that this was the single most important matter his office was engaged in. That report said, quote, It should be apparent that the matters discussed in this report are extremely sensitive, both because of the number of Belarusian Nazis who entered this country and the extent to which U.S. government agencies apparently assisted that entry, possibly in violation of the law. Oh, possibly in violation. Really? Are we going by the law these days? Possibly in violation of the law. John Loftus also gave a set of classified documents on the matter to Massachusetts Congressman Barney Frank of the House Subcommittee on Immigration. When you first heard this tale, Congressman Frank, what did you think? I thought it couldn't possibly be true. I thought it was the kind of thing that the paranoid type people make up and uh, and really wasn't true. Oh, paranoid people make up. By the way, Barney Frank, some skeletons in Barney's closet. He's the one 
that was caught in D.C. with a prostitution ring, a male prostitution ring, uh, being run out of his D.C. apartment uh, by a guy named Frank Joby. He was connected to the Chevy Chase, I believe it was elementary school principal. So really, we've done numerous videos on it. Okay. Frank openly threatened those to out closeted homosexuals if they opposed him. There was even a huge ethics committee hearing on it. So Barney Frank, everybody. To think that within a year or two after discovering the death camps, that the top officials of the American government could have been working with, with, with butchers, uh, Nazi butchers, to kind of sneak them into the country. No, I didn't believe it. Are you convinced now the story is true? I'm convinced it's true. Yes. What uh, is convinced? The documents, the documents I've read, uh, either someone has done, for purposes I couldn't fathom, the most massive set of forgeries in history, or uh, the, the documents uh, make it very clear. What? Yeah, no, the, the documents aren't forged, and they are clear. And it, it's ridiculous to say that this didn't happen. Again, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Documents have you seen, Congressman Frank, that convinced you? One that I have right here, which is a page on Emmanuel Joshuk, who was one of the Nazi leaders in Belarusia, who was guilty of the worst kinds of crimes, smuggled over here, allowed to become a citizen. What's it saying? It says, for instance, that in approximately February 1942, he was appointed mayor of Stolpche. Two months later, he was raised to position of the head of the district of Stolpche, which he held until 1944. People should understand that he was appointed to these positions in occupied Russia by the Nazis. By the German Nazis. His, by the German Nazis, and where he was, in fact, promoted because of his good work. What was his good work? His good work was to help, one, murder innocent Jewish people, two, to fight the Allies. Why was U.S. intelligence so interested in bringing these people into this country? What did these Belarusians have to offer? They convinced OPC and military intelligence to fund their operations, that they could provide the Americans with a secret army behind the Iron Curtain. Gotta love those secret armies. And look, again, I, I realize that we need clandestine services. I realize there has to be an intel community. But damn, are they corrupt. Are, they end up being the worst of the worst time and time and time and time again. The worst of the worst. It was a tragic lie. Every one of their operations had been penetrated by the Soviets. During the 1950s, according to Loftus, the OPC dropped Belarusians inside the Soviet Union by parachute. The parachute teams that were sent in had an astounding fatality rate. Nearly all the paratroopers were caught and killed within minutes after they landed. Ostensibly there to set up a network, to set up a, a listening post, a watching mm -hmm. post. Oh, there was more to it than that. The program was assassination. These, these were hit teams? That's correct. They were to start a civil war behind the Iron Curtain. Apparently, they were not very successful. On the contrary, it was a botch. It was worse than a botch. Many of the Belarusians were later identified as having been double agents. They didn't have much difficulty. The Soviets had penetrated both the British and the German intelligence services. As a matter of fact, the assistant to the German intelligence service, an ex-Nazi himself. Yeah, an ex-Nazi himself, 
yeah, the, the assistant to the German intelligence service. Was working for the Soviets since just after World War II. He had access to virtually every NATO document and passed them all to the Soviet Union. That person was Heinz Felfer, who worked for West German intelligence after World War II. Felfer and Kim Philby of British intelligence helped convince the Americans of the value of the former Nazis, a group the Soviets had heavily infiltrated. It was not till several years later that it was learned Kim Philby was really a mole working for the Russians. Oh. I read one top secret State Department report that said that there were 22 different intelligence agencies interrogating the emigres in the displaced persons camps, all competing with each other, all fighting over for the same Nazis. And that was part of the problem. No, it wasn't just one group bringing in these Nazis. They engaged in a competition. So they began to spy on each other. We seem to have had more intelligence agencies than there were countries to spy on. Not only We seem to have more intelligence agencies than there were countries to spy on. It's 1982 they're talking about this. And the war machine and the military industrial complex and the intelligence agencies and what? Their private intelligence firms have all just expanded, gotten bigger and bigger and more to the point where signature reduction is two plus years old being out. It'd been around since 2010, well over a decade. Who knows what they have now that we're still not being told about. ...were Nazis brought to the United States, but U.S. military intelligence also sent a number of them to South American countries, according to Loftus. And we have learned that at least one South American country told the United States it refused to take any more Nazis. And I would say that as a conservative estimate, there are more than 300 Belarusian Nazis living in America today. Still alive. Still alive. Still operating American citizens. That's correct. Some are still working for the government. Some are still working for the government. The Nazis. It's incredible. In, and they talk about South America briefly. I mean, yeah, no kidding. Some are working for quasi-governmental agencies like Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. William Cratch is New York bureau chief and Gene Sosen head of programming for Radio Liberty. Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty was once funded by the CIA, is that correct? Yes, yes. Was once funded by the No, it's, it's Central Intelligence Agency propaganda. That's what it is. We, we shouldn't be surprised there's a Nazi and CIA connection at all. How come? It would have been embarrassing uh, to admit that this was an official government function. Uh, the worst kept secret, of course, of the Cold War because the Soviets knew about it, but it was always possible to say on the diplomatic level, uh, this is a private organization and crusade for freedom, publicly supported. Precisely. So in other words, it gave us our plausible deniability, which is still a tool that's utilized on a moment-by-moment -moment basis within the intelligence communities everywhere. Plausible deniability. Another word for lying and having an excuse to point to as you're lying and saying, look over there. The crusade for freedom was the way most Americans learned about Radio Free Europe. Although money for it was solicited from the American people, Radio Free Europe was funded almost entirely by the CIA. Radio Free Europe broadcast the news to the Soviets and was also used to transmit secret messages behind the Iron Curtain. 
it would seem that the people who worked for Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, should be people, if you will, beyond reproach. Am I wrong? Like Caesar's wife. Right. Did you have a man named Stanislav Stankevich who worked here? Yes, he was a freelancer for a number of years with our Belarusian service. Who was Stanislav Stankevich? He was a Belarusian who received secret orders from the German SS to kill every Jew in his county. In order to save ammunition, they had the Jews lie on top of each other in two rows, and they shot through the bodies. The blood seeped up through the sand at the end of the day, and the ground was still quivering. So they had to post guards on top of the graves until everyone had suffocated. The worst part wasn't found out until after the war, when Soviet doctors conducted autopsies. They could find no bullet wounds on, on any of the infants. Apparently, the Belarusian police decided that the babies were too small to climb out of the grave, and so they wouldn't waste a bullet on them. They were buried alive. And this was done under the command of Stanislaus Stankiewicz. That's correct. Now, he we've, we've heard tales, God help us, like this before. Question. What happened to Stanislaus Stankiewicz? He was recruited by American intelligence, given a good job with Radio Liberty, and became a citizen of the United States. So he became a spy and propagandist for us, and he lived happily ever after. Lovely. In 1948, in a displaced persons camp in Germany, Stankiewicz was apprehended by U.S. Army counterintelligence. After investigating his background, the U.S. Army concluded that Stankovich is a security risk to the United States because he worked first for the Soviets, then for the Nazis, and then the Soviets again. And he will work for anyone who pays him. But rather than prosecute him, U.S. military intelligence recruited Stankovich as an informant and as a propagandist in America's Cold War effort against the Soviets. Stankovich was smuggled into America and he moved into this quiet Queens, New York neighborhood where he lived in relative obscurity for over 20 years until John Loftus began his investigation. We had prepared a case against Stankovic containing his confessions, his admissions of Nazi background, and were ready to prosecute. As a last step, the Justice Department asked their Soviet counterparts to provide some eyewitnesses for the case. We received a cable from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in the Soviet Union that Stanislaw Stankovich had just died. Well, he died in the United States? And the Soviet government knew about it almost immediately. This is a man brought into the United States to work for Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. The security clearance would have been done by the agency in those days. So By CIA. By CIA, indeed. You had another man who worked here, Vilis Hasner's? Yes. Just got to love it when the CIA is just pumping Nazis into their propaganda efforts. Look at these poor bastards. <laughs> like, 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 yeah, no, it all happened. 82, this report is from. 82. It's 40 plus years old. The Immigration and Naturalization Service tried to deport Mr. Hausner's, correct? That's correct. Failed, correct? Yes. Did you read the record against Hausner's? the witnesses who testified? Yes. Yes, we did. And you know that among other things, here <clears throat> is one thing said about Hasner's. One of the witnesses testified that on another occasion in July of 1941, he saw the respondent, 
Osners, and other Latvians force a number of Jews into a synagogue, which they then set on fire. Does he still work for Radio Liberty, Radio Free Europe? I believe he still contributes, or he now again contributes, freelance programs, yes. Uh, yes, he does contribute to uh, freelance programs, uh, yes, yes. The Justice Department told us they had botched the case against Hasners. Mr. Hasners would not talk to us, on or off camera. But Anton Adamovich, currently a staff writer for Radio Liberty, agreed to. We read, Mr. Adamovich, some of the information the Justice Department had gathered on him. You were a propagandist for the Nazis. Then you became an informer for the U.S. Army. Yes. Intelligence. Yes. And then it was as a result of that that you were brought into the United States. Yes. That's, that's okay. generally that's right. Yes. That's correct. And you know that. And generally that's all right. Yes. I was a propagandist for the Nazis. Yes. Both President Roosevelt and President Truman said that Nazi collaborators yes, I knew. were not supposed to come into the United I States. I knew, I knew. And so that you knew yes. that you came into the United States illegally. Yes, yes. You yeah, knew no, that. no, I came legally and I told everything about my background when I was admitted to USA. To the FBI. Yeah, of course. And the FBI said and FBI said, All right, we knew this. And we knew you were a Nazi collaborator. Yes, and it's we knew Nazi. that you helped yes. Army yeah, yeah, Intelligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll reward yeah, you yeah. in spite of the fact that you yeah. were a Nazi collaborator. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course they're going to reward me. Yeah, it's common sense. Yeah. That's right. We had no choice. Yes, we had all. We, we could be only collaborates with Soviet, with Bolsheviks, which we hate. Seven years I was persecuted by, by, by Bolsheviks. Right. Yes. Or with these Nazis. Dr. Vito Tumash, who lives in this house in the Bronx, also made that choice and had his past history kept secret by U.S. intelligence services. Tumash was for three months the Nazi-appointed mayor of Minsk, the capital of Belarusia during World War II. On several occasions, we tried to talk with Dr. Tumash about his reported role in recruiting the local police force which massacred 45,000 persons, but he refused to appear on camera. You let us into your home, and then you say you were unwilling to talk about these allegations. I, I'm sorry, I did not talk. I cannot talk. Off camera, he admitted he was indeed the Nazi mayor of Minsk, but he denied having anything to do with the extermination of Jews. By the late 1970s, with stories continuing to surface about Nazi war criminals in the United States, a House Congressional Committee chaired by then-Congressman Joshua Eilberg requested files on 111 alleged Nazi war criminals living in America. Among those on the list were two Belarusians, Franz Kuschel and Emanuel Jasiuk. In 1978, Congress specifically asked the General Accounting Office to get information on these two people. The General Accounting Office asked the Army about it, and they were lied to the Army they simply were. lied to the General Accounting Office in 1978 and said, we don't have files on these people. Again, they're allowed to lie. It's a feature. It's an inbuilt feature. It's kind of what we talked about yesterday with 60 Minutes in the media. Just being, they're allowed to lie. It's the default position. They had the files. The Army sent a letter through channels to Congressman Eilberg stating that they had searched certain very specific vaults 
were all files pertaining to Kushal and had found no others. That information was a lie. I went down to the identical vaults and retrieved the Army intelligence files for Kushal. One year later, after Eilberg had been told that no such files existed. What would be the motive of the Army to lie? If Congress had been given either the Kushal or the Jaziak dossiers, it would have inevitably unraveled the entire smuggling operation. The information had to be suppressed at all costs. In 1978, the Congress was finally trying to get to the bottom of the Nazi connection. On behalf of Congress, John Tipton, a GAO investigator, requested all intelligence files on alleged Nazis living in America. After a careful review, he wrote this report for the GAO entitled Widespread Conspiracy to Obstruct Probes of Alleged Nazi War Criminals Not Supported by Available Evidence. But now Tipton says that apparently he didn't get all the available evidence. <laughs> well, you know, they gave me a bunch of stuff. I said it was debunked. I'm wrong. I bet my bad. We then showed Mr. Tipton a note that had been inserted into the file he requested. Defense material not cleared for review by GAO. Do not disclose to GAO until notified to do so. So the Department of Defense was covering up material that the Congress asked for concerning Nazi war criminals and their admission into the United States. Unless there's another reason for it. We then... Unless there's another reason. Of course they were. Stop. Read to Mr. Tipton from the FBI file on Emanuel Jossier. Another file he had been told did not exist. Subject, name of the man that we're talking about, who was allegedly a war criminal and caused deaths of people in Poland, now resides, gives his address, Passaic, New Jersey. Were you informed about all that when you asked about that in 1978? I was not aware of that aspect of it. That information was in the hands, not just of the Defense Department, but of the FBI at the time you asked for it. It appears to be that way. That, I think, is the first time I've seen that document. Well, he's a little smirkles. I don't trust this guy one bit. He got a little smirkles the first time I've seen that document. And there can be little doubt from this document and from Defense Department documents that they lied to you and said they had nothing on this individual. That seems to be the case. So the Congress was misled back in 1978. That's correct. And the information that uh, John Loftus has showed to me and you've shown me here today, I would have to say that that appeared so. Here in the top secret vaults in Maryland, John Loftus discovered how the army had been able to keep the Nazi smuggling operation secret for so long a time. They routinely were deleting, deleting all documents showing that the government had assisted their entry. And I caught them at it. We went down and confronted the army officials and they said that they thought that we knew all about the sanitizing program. Apparently it's a routine procedure with them. And uh, the procedure was established many years ago and they were just following routine orders. Sanitizing the record, sanitizing history. Um, there are several minutes left in this clip. However, we got through the vast majority of it. We will be back tomorrow. Um, I got dueling dentists. I don't even have my car right now. It's in the shop. Still haven't figured out what's wrong with it, folks. A lot on the plate over here. 
uh, outside of Reality Rants and the Burmese Brigade. But I do want to thank everybody that came over to the premium portion of the broadcast. I want to remind everybody it's never about right or left. It is always about right and wrong. I love you guys, and I will see you all on the flip side.